0: It's great to be back with you today for our Session 3 on the Sermon on the Mount series. And each week we've been opening with a quote, and today we have a good one. It's from Martin Luther King, Jr. And he said this, Old law about an eye for an eye leaves everybody blind. The time is always right to do the right thing. An eye for an eye is about justice. How can a desire for something good like justice unintentionally harden hearts? Well, this is the question we're going to debate tonight. This was a law, an eye for an eye, found in the Old Testament. And if you have your Bibles tonight, I would encourage you to turn to Exodus chapter 21. I'm going to read um, from Exodus chapter 21. I'm going to read this law to you. Let me get there with my Bible. 21, and it's verses 22 through 25. All right, it says this. If people are fighting and hit a pregnant woman and she gives birth prematurely, But there is no serious injury. The offender must be fined whatever the woman's husband demands and the court allows. But if there is serious injury, you are to take life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. So this law seems drastic to me. But in its day, it was a a way of policing. See, the Israelites didn't have police like we have today. So this was one of those laws that were really designed to limit retaliation, not encourage it. Then Jesus comes along. And in Jesus' day, laws like this have become the focus. People were living their lives with the focus on obeying laws, but not on building a relationship with God. And then Jesus came in and he just basically flipped everything upside down. Um... I've got a book about the Sermon on the Mount, and I want to read a paragraph to you. It says, Jesus pointed his followers to a higher standard of living than that into which the religious ceremonialism of the day had allowed them to fall. As a result, they had lost the high view of human life that God's law had emphasized. Brotherly love had degenerated to a level of suspicion and distrust, and love for their enemies was unspeakable. All this led to an inevitable devaluation of others. A basic attitude of selfishness and an unholy sense of pride had seized the people. So, was this not even true in Martin Luther King's day? People had devalued other individuals based on the color of their skin. And because of that devaluation, suddenly that person wasn't really viewed as a human being. So society didn't treat them, they didn't treat them as a human being. They treated them as less than human. And they didn't see that as being unacceptable or even wrong. It's amazing how far away from reality a society can become if we allow the world to tell us what is right and wrong. In Jesus' day, a relationship with God had essentially been reduced to observing a strict set of religious rules. How can a person faithfully observe religious activities, but totally miss a relationship with God? It's almost as if we're operating as Christians, but our heart isn't in it. We're going about the motions of religion or worship, but our soul isn't engaged, or we have the wrong intentions. Some examples of this might be, somebody attends church because their spouse wants them to go, but they're only there because their spouse wants them to go not because they have a desire to know God. Or what about you volunteer for vacation Bible school because it's expected, but the entire time you're there, you're wishing in your heart to be somewhere else, and it completely shows on your face. These are what I'm talking about. These are examples of where we're going through the motions as Christians, but our hearts aren't engaged. So today in our our session, we're going to talk about these issues, and we're going to focus in on Matthew chapter 5, looking at verses 17 through 22, and then at 43 through 48. Two different sets of verses in the book of of Matthew, but both of them are looking at the inner heart and what Jesus had to say about the law versus the heart. The religious leaders had gotten really good at obeying the law in its most literal sense. However, Jesus, in these few verses in Matthew, has us really look at the idea that it's not just about physically or literally obeying the law. It's also about where we stand emotionally. So what is the condition of our heart? None of us like to think about that because that's a pretty hard question. If we really dwell on that, what is the condition of our heart? Let's start with verses 17 in Matthew chapter 5 and read through to verse 20. It says this, But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. So in these few verses, Jesus is saying, I've come to fulfill the law as you know it. And he tells them that righteousness, which is just a big religious word for being right with God, being right with God is about more than abiding by the law. It's now going to be about having faith in Jesus as the fulfillment of that law. The scribes and the Pharisees have been teaching that as long as you don't break the law, you're good. Jesus comes in and says, living by the spirit, living a life of love, means more than just abiding by the law. He goes into examples to show what he's talking about. Look at verse 21. He says, you've heard that it was said to people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Okay, this is a heart issue. Again, he's saying it's not just the action of murder, but it's the thought. It's the emotional context of hate. It's, it's the same, same thing. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. He goes on to talk about other things. He says, look at verse 27 of chapter 5. You have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Okay, so he's talking about it's not just the action, the physical action, but it's also the emotional context of your heart. He goes on to say, It has been said anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce, but I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery, and anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. He's going on to talk about other things. Again, you have heard, he says, That it was said to the people long ago. This is verse 33. Do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is in God's throne, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. So he says, then here's the next verse. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them too. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. So Jesus introduced this series right here in these verses of contrast in Scripture that show the outward demand of the law versus the inner attitude of the heart. I, 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 if you've got pencil and paper, I want you to jot these down, okay? If we look back at the verses and go all the way back to the very beginning when we started reading about, and he mentions murder, right? He says, under the law, it's murder. But under the spirit, it's any anger. Right? Under the law it is adultery, a physical act, but in the spirit it's lustful thoughts. Under the law it's divorce, but under the spirit it's commitment that's being discussed. Under the law it's oath taking, right? But then under the spirit he's saying speak the truth. Under the law it's retaliation, eye for an eye. But under the spirit it's about forgiveness. Under the law, it's about hating your enemy. And under the spirit, Jesus introduces the concept of loving your enemy. Now, I know all of you have heard the phrase, action speaks louder than words. Well, I want to suggest that Jesus is saying right here that our inner heart, our true feelings, speak louder than our actions. A question from our um, reading Uh, the book that I've been following along with as we do this study is, they ask us, in what way is all behavior, good or bad, ultimately a heart issue? In what way is our behavior, whether it's good or bad behavior, a heart issue? Well, I mean, we lead with our heart. Whether we dislike someone or we love someone, we're leading with our feelings. That's our heart. It's almost as if the law had stifled the feelings. And people had become like robots almost. They were just simply following the rules and never questioning anything. They were just going through the motions. They were following the rules and never feeling anything. Suddenly, Jesus is here and he's saying, you have to feel. A relationship is about feeling." When you block out your feelings, you begin to devalue human life, and I'm, 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 I'm flipping this back up to our quote from Martin Luther King Jr. because it was about the devaluation of human life. God doesn't want that. <clears throat> let me let me start over with this. When you block out your feelings, you begin to devalue human life, and God doesn't, didn't, and doesn't want that. Because all human life is valuable to God. Otherwise, he would have never sent his only son. Right? He values all human life. Therefore, he wants us to value human life. All right. I want us to look at the next set of scriptures, which picks up right where we ended. And we're going to pick up right there with verse 43 in chapter 5 of Matthew. And it says this. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy.'" Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Okay, this entire passage deals with love. And these last few verses really address the completeness or the perfection that is God's love. God doesn't separate his love for us based on our level of sin or on our faithfulness or on our skin color or our nationality. He loves with an amazing and unfailing grace. And Jesus teaches that we are to emulate that love. We are to strive to be like God in the way we love others. So when Jesus is standing on the Mount of Olives and he's delivering this sermon, the Jewish people believed that God only loved them, that they were the chosen people of God. And Jesus says to them, no, God's love is for all people. This was a completely new concept to the Jews. They had been taught to understand the Old Testament and and the Old Testament taught them that they were the chosen ones. I hate the phrase chosen ones because often what we see in those who are chosen is self-adulation. In other words, they begin to see themselves as more than those around them because they were chosen over someone else. This is exactly the mentality of the Jews in Jesus' time. So in Luke, when asked, who is my neighbor? Jesus gives the story that we are very familiar with. It's the Good Samaritan story. He does this because the Jews and the Samaritans hated each other. And Jesus wanted them to understand that the Samaritan was their neighbor. So in the story, a man is wounded by robbers and left to die on the side of the road. Three different people pass by. The first two ignore the wounded man. One was a priest. I'm not looking at the scripture, so I can't remember if the other one was identified other than being a man. The third was a Samaritan. The Samaritan, the most unlikely of the three in the Jewish mind, is the one who stops and not only helps the man, but takes him to where he can get care and leaves money, for, his care, extent, for an extended period of time for his care. And Jesus uses this example because he wants the Jews to understand that the Samaritan is their neighbor, and the offering of unconditional love to the person in need was the type of love that God exhibits when he loves all of us. It's the type of love that we should be striving to offer to other people. Verse 48 in our reading tonight, It it actually uses the word perfect, which is interchanged with the word complete in some scripture references, in some uh, versions of scripture. In the original Hebrew, the word that is used doesn't mean perfect as we know perfect. We think of the word perfect as being without mistake. But in the Hebrew, the word that's used there means complete. 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 Therefore, if you read it again, then the verse reads like this. Therefore, just as your heavenly Father is complete in showing love to everyone, so also you must be complete. So what this sentence is telling us is not that we have to be perfect by some heavenly standard, right? Because our lives can't be perfect. If if, if we looked at it that way, it would be as if it was contradictory to the rest of Scripture, which acknowledges that we are sinful. Right? I mean, we're told in Scripture all the way through that we are a sinful people. And the only way to be forgiven of that sin and those imperfections is to be cleansed through the blood of Christ, through grace. So if we dig a little deeper to find the true meaning of this verse, and we really look at the context of the Scripture, we look at the original Hebrew meaning, I think it's telling us that we must strive to love with the completeness that God shows in His love for us. You know the first and most important commandment is love your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And Jesus says the second is to love your neighbor. And then he tells us in scripture that if we do both of these things, everything else will work itself out. Why is that? It's because that if we love God with the same completeness of heart that he loves us, and then we take that same love and we apply it to our neighbors, Good, bad, or indifferent. People that look like us that don't look like us. People of the same skin color as us or people who are not. People who are rich or poor. If we look at them as God looks at them, and if we love them with the completeness of heart that God loves us, then we won't need any of those other commandments because everything else will take care of itself. That is what our message is about tonight. Loving completely and without judgment. Seeing people through the eyes of love like God sees us. I hope you'll take this week, go back through the lesson, and reread chapter 5 of Matthew. Take some time and ponder it and think about God's message to us. As we think about what our heart looks like and what it means to love with the completeness of God. Next week, we'll hit Session 4, and we'll take another look at Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Thanks so much. God bless.